Last week we were talking about the Beit HaMikdash, and I mentioned that Ramban had this idea that the Mishkan in the desert was partially about, or centrally about, I should say, uh, continuing the presence of God from Har Sinai, continuing that in regular Jewish life. That being so, I think it's interesting to note that there were expectations of other ways of having contact. Meaning, when you talk about a Beit HaMikdash or a Mishkan, you're talking about the idea that people could sense that they're in the presence of God. They could, you know, have a feeling of it, that the Beit HaMikdash would support it. But it's a little bit removed. This week, I want to talk about at least two. There's the Aron that we'll sort of get to maybe at the end very briefly. But at least two ways that it was expected and hoped for, that there would be continuing more direct contact with Hashem. And so we'll start and spend most of our time on the institution of a Navi, of a prophet. We haven't had Nevi'im in many, many years. But the expectation is that we will again, God willing, soon in the future, you know, when the time is right for it or whatever happens, needs to happen for it. The Rambam includes it as a mitzvah in his count of the 613 mitzvot. And it's worth remembering the Rambam only counts in his count mitzvot that are plausibly available throughout history in some set of circumstances. So whatever the circumstances will be, there's this idea. And what's the idea of hearing and listening to a Navi? So the Rambam writes in the Sefer HaMitzvot, We have to listen to any Navi to do whatever the Navi commands us, whatever the com- com- prophet commands us, even if the prophet commands us to violate a commandment, right? Or all of the, many, many of the commandments, as long as the conditions on that are, that it can't be permanent. It can't be saying, I'm going to change things. That's obviously not in Christianity, but that's true. And and uh, and it can't be a Zara. It can't be worship of a power other than God. Because when the Torah in Parshat Shoftim, in the book of Devarim, introduces the idea of a Navi, it says, Elav Tishma'un, you have to listen to him or her. And the Sifre says, Afilu Amar Okay, so we have to listen to a Navi. If somebody doesn't listen to the Navi, they're liable for the death penalty. There's a story in the book of Malachim that shows that, but they're liable for the death penalty. Not that we, not that a court would administer it, that Hashem would administer it. And then the Rambam writes, I'm sorry, the Psukim, the puzzle says, I will demand it of that person. Right? And that's one of the three that the Gemara Sanhedrin uh, says are liable for death at the hands of heaven. There's the Navi, the person doesn't listen to the Navi, there's the Navi who doesn't listen to his own prophecy, and there's somebody who suppresses his nevuah, suppresses his prophecy. So all of those are, are liable for death at the hands of heaven. So that's the Ram and the Sefer Mitzvah. And I think that it's something we've lost sight of. Now, the Ramah has stringent standards for how you establish who's a Navi. Some people think it has to be miracles. The Ramah is against the idea of miracles. The Rambam in Yisodei HaTorah has this idea that a Navi will make many, many, many predictions about all sorts of things, about the future. Not miraculous things, just predictions. And from, so for the Rambam, it's a combination of the person has the personal qualities. There, The Rambam thinks that, you know, you have an ignoramus. That person can't be a Navi. You have somebody of bad character. That person can't be a Navi. So it's interesting because we see the Midrashim talk about certain of the figures in Tanakh 
who function as Nevi'im and seem to look down on their characters. You have to figure out what level of character is the minimum to be able to become a Navi, right? So Bilam, let's say, we call Bilam Bilam Arasha, but for the Ramam's picture, it would seem like that to be a Bilam, you have to have, first have good character. People Midrash talk about Elisha's anger, whatever it is. That's a challenge. But for the Rambam, a Navi has a certain character, certain intellectual achievements, certain understanding of Torah, and then a certain imaginative quality. Others will say that God just gives Nevuah to whoever God feels like it's important to give Nevuah to, give prophecy to. And the prophet proves it with miracles. However, the prophet proves it. That's a conversation you can have. The underlying idea that if somebody is an established prophet, we have to listen to them at risk of Hashem feeling like we forfeited our lives. I think it's something we don't spend enough time thinking about. It. You know, I, I don't usually quote the Chavetz Chaim because I don't know the Chavetz Chaim well enough to know, but I remember reading, and I think it's an interesting thing. To, I think I use the word too much. It's interesting too much. I think that it, we should remember this. Chavetz Chaim said that the way to bring about the future is by studying, by being prepared for it. So he was very into studying the laws of sacrifices because he was a Kohen and he wanted it to become true and he was hoping that he would be around at a time when there would be sacrifices. And so that's how you think about it. There's a, the opening tshuva, the, the, the tshuva, the response that they took is the introduction to a book called Mishpat Haaretz, I think. Mishpat Kohen. The Rev. Cook has a book of tshuva called Mishpat Kohen. His family put it out after he passed away. They took as a tshuva to introduce the book, a tshuva he wrote when he was in Zymel in 1894. And he was talking about why he was going to start studying the laws of the land of Israel. And he said, because Torah has this quality to it. When you study it, it comes a lot. And I always found that something to pay attention to because 10 years later, he did not expect it when he was first writing it in 1894. 10 years later, he moves to Israel and starts on the path becoming, you know, the rough cook that we know. So the idea of being ready for something and preparing for something and looking into something, I think is a very important idea and a very relevant idea. So here... The idea that if there's a Navi, so I just always imagine, imagine a Navi walked up to you. Now you have to know they're a Navi, that's a challenge, but let's imagine a Navi walked up to you, a prophet walked up to you, male or female, remember, women can be Navi and just like men, and says, listen, you have to cross the street right now, and it's the middle of traffic. In other words, you have to cross the street right now. You're required to cross the street right now. Right? Navi says, you got to move to, I don't know, Lesotho. You got to move to Lesotho, right? Unless Tavar Zara. The Navi, right? And the Navi is not saying this is a permanent rule. So that's a very important uh, element of our sense of Torah right and wrong that I'm not sure we express often. And I'm not saying Navi would do it that often, but it's out there and it's a possibility. So that's one element that we're talking about. The clearest example of, and we'll come back to this example in, in, a, minute, in a few minutes, the clearest example of a Navi telling people to do something against the Torah that it's pointed to is Eliyahu on Mount Carmel. The story is told in the book of Malachim that Eliyahu wants to disprove all of the prophets of Baal. Right? So he gathers them on a mountaintop on the top of Mount Carmel and they they each take a bull and they prepare it for a korban and the, 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 the idolatrous prophets go first and they call out to their gods and no fire comes down from heaven. And then Eliyahu calls out, fire comes down from heaven. Everybody says, Hashem hu alokim. Hashem is really the real God. As we say every Yom Kippur, right? And other times. But that whole story has this huge hole in it that we don't always stop to notice, which is that you're not allowed to offer sacrifices outside the temple once the temple had been built. The answer is, Elio, in his role as prophet, had the right to do that. So, two pieces here now. Piece one, we're required to listen to a prophet. That's an important piece. Regardless, and the Ram is going to talk about it. So in Hilchay, let's do this now. In the laws of the Foundation Torah, Ram says 
Why does Hashem say, Nabi Akim If the Nabi doesn't have the right to institute new permanent laws, that's not the point of a prophet. Institution of new laws in the Torah, other than rabbinic rule, institution of Torah law ended at Mount Sinai. So if he's not there to make a new religion, El Tzavot Torah, his job is to get people and command people to come closer to the observance of Torah. And warn people not to transgress the Torah. Kimo, and then he points out the last of them says Malachi. It's a we read it as a as a haftorah. I think it's a haftorah for Parshat Balak. Actually, I mentioned Balak a little bit ago, and he says Zichru Torah Moshe Avdi. Remember the Torah of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right. So the Ram is saying. I think the Ram says this elsewhere as well. He's saying that Nevi'im are about supporting Torah and furthering Torah. They're not about creative new things on their own. Another thing the VM can do, however, is that when there are when there are elements of our lives that are not specifically guided by Torah, right? Kigon, his example is like I said before, cross the street, go to Chad, go to Russia, go to wherever, go to war today. Right? That's Devorah selling Barak in the book of Shoftim, go to war. And he says, I'm only going if you come. That was wrong of him. He was supposed to be listening to her because she's a Nivyash, she was a well-known prophetess. Right? Um, oh, El Chomazu, oh, Chomazu, build this wall. Don't build this wall. Imagine an Avi came up to you and said, Listen, I want you to give all of your tukka to whatever cause it was. So I can easily imagine people saying, Who are you to tell me? The answer, the answer. One of the things is, and I, and I stress it because I think it's an important piece of, we are here talking about from redemption to consolation. Part of the way that I hope that we will get closer to consolation and to the full, re- full restoration of the life and the world that Hashem had wanted for us to begin with, that we lost uh, through our two tishabubs, one piece of it is the awareness that the word of God is abroad in the land. Now that gets complicated too, because God forbid, maybe in the future it won't be true, but in the past it's been true that there were false prophets. So that's a challenging thing. That's about verifying who's a prophet, who's not. But when there's a verified true prophet, we got to listen to them about random things they tell us. Right, and if we don't, then the Ram in the in the Mishnah Torah says again, That's the idea of the prophets as we've gone so far. The Sefer points out the exception is about Azar, like I said that, like I said, we can't worship any power other than God. So the Sefer says it this way: Since he's a prophet of God, his intentions or her intentions will always be for good, for purposes that God values. And anything this prophet does is going to be in the name of supporting connection to God, strengthening uh, connection to the Jewish religion, the Jewish observances, and the faith and the belief in God. The Minchat Chinuch points out that doesn't sound like the prophet is only telling us God said to do this. Meaning until now I've been saying, I think that the idea is that we have God's presence in our world more uh, more prominently than we might have thought. Because we have Nevi'im and the Nevi'im are saying, well, God said this, God said that. Sibirkinuch says it, that's true, but he's opening the door to something that Tulsa actually said very explicitly. He's opening the door to the possibility that we might have to listen to the Navi even if the Navi says Hashem didn't say that to me. So that's a whole nother huge step. The Tosus actually says it in Yavamot, also in Sanhedrin. Uh, the Minchas Kinnuf gives the Daph in Sanhedrin is Peitet. 
that Tosus thinks that Eliyahu and Hara Carmel, and Eliyahu and Mike Carmel, this is a, a, astounding, but he, they think it. Tosus thinks this. I'm not saying we follow that. I'm not saying we accept that view. I'm saying it's a view out there. Tosus thinks that Eliyahu and Eliyahu Carmel did not, in fact, have a specific prophecy from God telling him this is what to do. That Eliyahu decided that this was the way. Now, it turns out God ratifies it because God brings down the fire. And then Elio runs away from Ezebel because Ezebel wants to kill him because he got all of her prophets killed. He runs away and he has this this uh, this experience, this very direct experience of God in a way that was parallel to or almost as much as Moshe Rabbeinu's experience. He hears the famous still small voice called Mamad Daka. Anyway, all of that. But those things, the starting point was Elio just deciding for himself. And the Sefer Chinuch seems to be saying the same thing the Minchas Chinuch says. Now, but Tosos, which doesn't come up here, Tosos goes another step. Tosos actually there actually thinks, for whatever reason it's in the Sugi and the Talmudic discussion, Tosos thinks that that might also be true for a Sanhedrin. That this is the source of the idea that a Sanhedrin can decide. Now, we know there are things called Horat Sha'at. The Sanhedrin can decide to violate the Torah Maybe for some strong so there's questions in Allah about how far they can go, what limits there are on that. That's not our topic today because they're not responding to the word of God. And I'm focused on the idea of God being present. But within the, the idea that a Navi might get a Nebuah, might get a prophecy telling us to do certain things that are or are against the Torah, don't have to be against the Torah. But that a Navi, a prophet, also has the right to say that for now we're going to go against the Torah. And at least according to Tosos, maybe the Sefer Achinuch, that the Navi can say it even in things where the Navi is figuring it out herself. How does that work? And so the Misharshia Mitzvah, so the, in this Mitzvah, Sefer Achinuch says the reasons for this Mitzvah are Shitachlit Ma'alat Adam, the, the, the highest purpose of a human being. Now, this is an interesting question. I'm not sure. The Ramam seems to think this for sure. I'm not sure we think this. That Sefer Achinuch thinks that the highest uh, expression of a human being is reaching prophecy. I think he means because that means the person has has attached uh, well enough to the uh, the word of God and the will of God and to wanting to fulfill what God wants in the world. Now that depends on whether you think that Hashem gives nevuah to all those who deserve it in some way. It also depends on the rabbim and the, the guide for the perplexed. Sometimes implies, in some places implies that there are innate qualities that you're born with or not born with that are essential to prophecy. If that's true, even though the Ram thinks the prophecy is very high level, it seems like the Ram thinks that there are people who are never going to get prophecy. And it would, anyway, so that's a complicated question. But his idea is that people in Nevuah, somebody knowing Nevuah, getting to the stage where God sends them messages, that's like the best form of knowledge there is. And if somebody's able to draw, he calls it Tavomi Ma'ayana Emet. It comes from the fountain of truth. And there are very few people who get it. So the Torah tells us if you meet a guy like that, a man or a woman like that, so then you got to listen to everything they say. You have to follow everything they say. Now, the history of the Jewish people, unfortunately, in, in, in Tanakh, in scripture, is that they didn't listen to the Navi. Right? So the Savior you know, is saying, because the Navi is clearly going to know the truth. Tosos says, and the same seems to imply that it's not only they know the truth because God sends them the truth directly, but being of that level of a person where God sends you certain things directly also means that your opinions on other matters have more standing. <coughs> and so the Sefer says, so to argue with a person like that, to disagree with a person like that, 
That's a huge mistake. That would be, for us, a very a big paradigm shift. The idea that there are people out there, when they say something, just to listen to them. I, I, the, the, the example that comes to my mind, and it is a Tisha B'Av relevant example, so it's good for our discussion this year, is if you look in the book of Yirmiyahu, like after chapter Membet, there's a story there about after Gedaliah gets killed, so the remnant of the people want to know if they should stay in Israel or go to Mitzrayim. And you can look at, you should look it up. It's really just, they're heart, to me, it's a heart-rending passage. I talk about it often because it's so uh, so upsetting. They come to him, you know, and they say to him, and whatever you say we're going to do, we promise we'll listen to you, we promise to whatever you want to say. You, you think to yourself, why are they? Why do they have to promise that? So they have to promise that because unfortunately, Yirmiyahu lived a 40-year life, you know, had a 40-year career before the Khurban where he almost never got listened to. So they come and they say, fine, that's fine, I'll, I'll find out. And then whatever happens, I don't have to tell the whole story here, it's not our place, but he comes back to them and he says, you know what? Hashem said, stay and we'll rebuild and it'll all be fine. Now, I think to myself, that's a great thing. That's, the, that's Hashem saying all the anger is gone. All the punishment is gone. We can stay, we can rebuild, and Hashem is, uh, is, is, is going to be part of that project. He's going to protect, he's going to help. I would have thought that's great. And they say, you're lying. They Straight out, they say, you're lying. It's not true. And, and so then they leave. And it seems like Yumiyo goes with them. It's not clear why he does. Maybe Hashem told him to. Maybe he realized that that's where his role was to be with them. He goes with them. And then the next chapter, he's talking to the Jews and he's saying, you know, maybe you should worship fewer idols. And they they respond, it's wrong. It's since we stopped working, worshiping the idols like we used to do back in Israel, that's when things were bad for us. So the idea of the Jewish people listening to prophets is just a very, very big challenge. At the end of the book of Dibray, I mean, it talks about the fact that the Jews, unfortunately, back then, we can hope we will learn their lessons and not do it again. That's why it's a key piece of going from redemption to consolation, to learn the lessons of the past. It says that they would insult the Malachi Elohim, which we always would think to translate as angels of God, but it doesn't mean that. It means messengers of God. And they would insult the messengers of God and not listen to them. One of the key things, when you have a Navi, you have to listen to a Navi. And I will add, if you read Tanakh, the Nevi'im, the challenges, the Nevi'im don't tell you what you want to hear. I mean, the idea that Yemiyot says, stay in Israel, it'll all be fine. Why would that be so bad? It's so bad because that's not what they wanted to hear. So, something to think about in terms of Nevua, and, and that's an element of this ideal Jewish polity that if we want to get back to, it's time for us to start preparing ourselves. And the preparation is just getting used to, the, to saying that out loud, getting used to thinking, right? You know, how do you know if you're kind of person? So think about it. Who could come to you and say something that to you is counterintuitive? I want you to invest all your money in this stock. I want you to sell this stock. I want you to move to Israel right now. I want you to move to Uganda right now. I want you to move to Canada right now. I want you to cross the street in traffic, whatever it is, right? I want you to kill so-and-so. Against the law, and you're going to rot in jail for all we know. As far as I know, you're going to rot in jail. I think you have to kill so-and-so. I'm not saying a Navi will say those things. I'm not saying a prophet will say those things. I'm saying how ready are we? to forego our strong sense of our own control of our lives and recognize there's a mitzvah in the Torah. No less a mitzvah than to shake a lulah. No less a mitzvah to listen to a prophet. So that's the first stage of what I think we have to talk about today. So, and the same of points out, it could be Chilul Shabbos, right? Imagine the prophet comes to you and says, okay, this week we're all driving, you know, uh, we're all driving to the Joshua Tree National Forest on Shabbos. I think we have to. And we say to him, oh, did Hashem say that? We say, no, Hashem didn't tell me that. I'm just, 
I'm pretty sure that's what we have to do. And the, apparently, at least according to socialist theory, you know, is we have to do it. So, um, yeah. So the Rambam, the theory, the Mishnah points out, the Rambam sounds like it's none of that. That second part, that last part, the Rambam seems to reject, seems to disagree with, and makes that it's only if the prophet says in the name of God. Well, that's a debate among our Rishonim. So you say, let's say I'm only going to listen to the prophet. They say in the name of God, they can follow the Rambam until we have, you know, a wider sock on that issue. So that first step of what to think about. The second step to what to think about is a lower is the lower levels of Nivua that we used to have. So the one one clear, one well known example, it was called the Choshen Mishpat. Right? The Choshen Mishpat was the breastplate on the co that the Kohen wore as one of the eight garments. And in the Choshen Mishpat there was something called the Urim Vitumim. So Rashi thinks, or Rashi and Chomish thinks that they wrote out somebody wrote out on a paper or on a something, the name of Hashem, there's a name called the Shema Miforash. So it might be the Yudke Vavke with the proper dots on it, it might be another name, but there's a name of God that we don't say, and you write it out and you insert it in some way into the Choshen Mishpat. And the Ramban agrees, and most commentators agree that's what it is. And so it's like, once you put the name into the Choshen Mishpat, then it functions as the Urim Vitumim. Come back to what that is in a second. The Ramam doesn't think so. The Ramam thinks that when it says the Urim Vitumim, they were an, a, 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 like a thing, right? And they were, the Ramam seems to have thought that they were on the begotten, that the Urim Vitumim were part of the Choshen Mishpat itself. And uh, and they didn't have, so it's well known they didn't have them in the second Beit HaMikdash. They didn't have the Urim Vitumim, they didn't have the Choshen Mishpat, and therefore uh, you couldn't consult with God in that way. But the idea was, that aside from a Navi, now why would you need a side from a Navi? Why wouldn't God just communicate through a Navi? That's a set of questions I think that has to do with the nature of communication from God and how people tap into communication from God. The simple version is sort of, well, God picks somebody and says, okay, here's the message. Maybe, but I think there's room to suggest that Nevi'im maybe hear the Nevi'im they're ready to hear in some way, unless God makes an exception and God this and God that. So, so Moshe Rabbeinu is an exceptional, is a completely different figure when it comes to prophecy. But with other prophets, it might be that there's an interaction, there's sort of a, a, an interplay between what Hashem wants to have said, wants to have heard, and what this Navi is ready to say. Something like that. On sort of policy questions for the nation, you often didn't go to the Navi and just ask the question. You could go, if you were the leader of the nation, to the Choshen Mishpat. Now, the way we say it always is that the Choshen Mishpat would light up, right, with the answer, which isn't untrue. The, the piece that we don't always uh, point out is that it wouldn't light up in a way that just anybody could see. It would light up in a way that the Kohen Gadol, that the high priest who was wearing the breastplate, would see. So the Kohen Gadol has to have a form of Ruach HaKodesh. Now, Ruach HaKodesh is this loose term that you can use broadly or narrowly. Ruach HaKodesh means divine spirit, right? But what does that actually mean? Unclear. But that was something that wasn't around, wasn't present in the second Beta Mikdash, and therefore you couldn't have it anymore, right? So that's the, the issue of the Orem Vitumim in the thing. So then there's a Brita, and Rashi has it, is that Rashi points out that it's a Melech, or an Av Beitin, right? It's not just anybody can ask for the Urim Vitumim. You know, the story from when Shoal first finds out he's going to be king is has Shoal looking for some lost donkeys, and he goes to ask Shmuel about it. 
So in those times, at least, you could ask a Navi random things. That would fit the realm of the model of the Navi sort of proving his or her bona fides by making predictions, right? So the Shmuel says, oh, the, 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 the donkeys are already back at your father's house. Had Shaul gone home and found they weren't there, that would have disproved that Shmuel was a Navi. So that's what happened, because Shmuel was a prophet. When it comes to the Urim Bitumim, that's a thing for consulting on national issues. So he consults on national issues, and the king or the Abedin comes. He comes, he stands in front of the Kohen, he asks the Kohen, where the Kohen standing facing the, facing the Urim Bitumim, and so Rashi sort of thinks like, the, and then the Kohen would look down at the Koshin and see the things light up. So I think Rashi thinks that the Urim would be the lighting of it, and the tomb would show him that the order of the letters or something like that. But the Rambam wrote, Omeda Kohen of the Ha'aro. Rambam thinks that the Kohen doesn't stand facing the person, the Kohen stands facing the Aron, and the person has a question behind him, right? So uh, so for the Rambam, there's some interaction with the Aron, which also is a place where, if you think about it, we had some sense, the Gemara had some sense, that it also reflected something about God, because there's these Gemaras that talk about the fact that the Kruvim, those two cherub-like figures, babyish-looking, baby-faced angelic figures that were in gold on top of the Aron, when the Jew, when God was happy with the Jewish people, instead of being at the edges of the pearl, they would move together and be like in, embraced each other, and that was a sign of the fact that the Jewish people and God were on good terms. So there too, you had some kind of communication from God directly to Jewish people. So the, the Rambam thinks that the Koshin he would look and this and the show would be Asprim, and they would ask the question. Right, so and the question would be something like, right? The Arach Hashulchan Alti tells us something like, should I go to war or not go to war? Right, it was, and and the Arach Hashulchan says you ask the question in a low voice, like you're davening. So it's not even necessarily true that the Kohen Gadol hears the question, but the Kohen Gadol gets enveloped with the Ruach Hakodesh, with some divine spirit. I mean, the answer sort of comes to him. He looks at the Choshen, not the answer, but the spirit comes to him. He looks at the Choshen. And he sees in the quotient, in the thing, he sees the letters lighting up to give him the answer. The Archon makes sure that we understand you only ask these questions on behalf of a king or a Sanhedrin or somebody for, whose needs are the needs of the entire nation. And in the last piece that I'm just going to quote from the Rambam, the Archon quotes the Rambam. It says, the Rambam says, when you find there are people who wear an ephod bad, Right, so that's not the Choshen Mishpat. That's not the Kohen Gadol, because you see in Tanakh, in Scripture, that even Levim would wear it, but it seems like in some situations they too would get a Ruach HaKodesh, and they would get answers as well. So the Ram says that that's when those people reach the spiritual level, that put them at the level of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, to be able to share the answer from God. Now, I just recently, I think it came up in Daf Yomi, and uh, and I've been learning Daf Yomi since the cycle started. So in Yivamod, Daf Yomi discussed the idea of the Givonim, because there's a mission that talks about the fact that the Ditinim, who are the descendants of the Givonim, the Givonim were the were the um, the one of the were members of the Canaanite nations who fooled Yehoshua into letting them make a covenant, a treaty with them. So Yeshua felt bound by the treaty, but was very annoyed about it. So he made them into wood choppers and water carriers particularly for holy places. So when Shaul killed uh, the city of Nov, because he thought they had helped David, when Shaul thought that David was a rebel and Shaul was taking David, he kills the city of Nov, and that undercut the economy of the people of Givon, of the, the Givonites around that city of Nov, 
And so later in David's life, after Shaul has been dead for a while, though Rashi there thinks it's 30 years, Shaul has been already passed away. After Shaul has been gone for a long time, there's a famine three years in a row. Right? So eventually the famine is because Shaul mistreated the Gibbonite. You have to make that up. That's not my interest here. My interest is the Gemara there talks about the fact in the first year, David says to the people, maybe you have this. I think it's uh, the sin of idolatry. And that would cause the famine. And they say no. And then the second year, David says something else. I forget what now. I, didn't, I forgot to look up the Gemara, and it's just coming to me now, but I think it's an important point. And then the third year, he says also something else, and they say no. And then he goes and asks the question of God. And then God says it's because of the Gibonim and because of Shul. Shul wasn't properly eulogized, and the Gibonim were undercut. And you have to do something to make up for that. So that's the Gemara story. But the Gemara clearly assumes that even if you're David HaMelech, your first option is not to look to God for the answer. And the Gemara doesn't seem to criticize David for that part of it at all. I Meaning, I could have imagined, first time you have a family, you call in the Navi, you call in the Orimitum, and you say, what's going on? Notice that the Orimitum seems to be more of a yes or no kind of a thing, that you have to frame the future. So to me, and with this we're going to conclude, because this is the piece of uh, what is the role of direct communication from God in an ideal Jewish polity. So step one is that there is a role. And I think a lot of people forget that. It's not just there happen to have been prophets in the time of scripture. I think that from this mitzvah that we started off today with, it's that there's supposed to be a continuing role for the direct word of God. That role will not be legislating in a permanent way, will not be changing the, uh, the, the ground assumptions of the Jewish people, but it might tell us that at this time in juncture in history, we're going to change things. And that even might be that a person has become so adept at understanding the will of God expressed in the Torah, expressed in, in, in halacha, and maybe also for a Navi, at least from having an experience of connect, communication with God, that that person will know how to adjust things and change things. All of that's good. So it means that there is a continuing role for the voice of God. And when that comes to us, and even if it's people who are saying, right now, I don't have that, but nonetheless, I'm a Navi, we have to listen. But on the other hand, with the Chosh Mishpat and the Urim Vitumim and even the Arum, which does also show us and give us ways to access God directly, that's not a first resort, that's a later resort, and it's for the nation as a whole. So this balance, what we should begin to be thinking about and striving towards, as we, I hope, ready ourselves for a full consolation from the not yet perfected world in which we live, where we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, we don't have a king, we don't have any of those things, we also don't have the Vim, and we can hope for the day when again, we have more direct and more clear communication from our creator. Thanks for joining us here for this uh, episode, this seventh episode of Pesach Tishbub for Redemption Consolation. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.